the, the previous messages that I had on prophecy, they were designed just to highlight not just what prophecy is, but what the purposes of prophecy are. Um, uh, the first one that I shared was about how prophecy is so necessary. It's an, an, an important ingredient to bringing about repentance. Where repentance isn't necessarily crying and saying what a bad person I am, but the, the, the prophetic word has the power to be transformative, to actually help us change and to grow into the, the, the kinds of people God wants us to become. And uh, as we grow into who we're designed to become, we will fulfill our part of the Great Commission. Then uh, yesterday, last night, I talked about how God fathers us through the prophetic word. His words have the kind of power that, again, but this is just from a different angle, again, there's something about when, when God speaks to us, he's, he's trying to bring us along our journey so we can grow into who he's called us to be and so that we can accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, to demonstrate and expand the kingdom of God. That's, those are the, the, that's a, a basic thrust of God the Father. Not just to make us happy and heal us and, and just love on us, but to actually grow us so we can go make a difference in our world. The common theme up to this point has actually been prophecy and the Great Commission, but from a, from a different angle. God grew David in such a way that he, you know, he, he grew, he transformed, he became a king, um, he overcame challenges, but his leadership helped advance the kingdom through the people of Israel. Understanding prophecy within the Great Commission is really important. Because if we don't understand God's ultimate purposes in why we're here on planet Earth, it sort of diminishes our understanding of what God, why God would actually talk to us. He talks to us because he loves us, he wants to take care of us, he wants to grow us, he wants us to fulfill our destiny all so that his kingdom is demonstrated and advanced. Now, that's great theory. One of the interesting things is that we live in an environment that's hostile. I talked about that too. That there's a measure of spiritual warfare that goes way beyond spiritual Nintendo. You know, going boom, 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 let's get rid of the bad guys so we can have a good life. That if we don't understand what the ultimate goals of spiritual warfare are, we will miss out on knowing what we're fighting for. So, let me get this right. God wants us to be fruitful and to multiply. Isn't that true? I mean, and that, that's, that's the very essence of the Great Commission. He wants us to be fruitful and to multiply. The principle here is, whoever we are, we are always going to produce certain kinds of fruit, no matter what for good or bad. And that fruit, we will impact others. We'll reproduce ourselves. 
no matter what, we will be fruitful, and no matter what, we will multiply. The issue is what kind of fruit and what do we reproduce? I believe in the very beginning, when God spoke to Adam and said, be fruitful and multiply, he was not giving Adam a command. I believe when God speaks, there's a creative power. And before God, before God said, be fruitful and multiply, man was this man. And God spoke certain capacities. You are going to be the sort of being that no matter what will produce fruit. And you'll be the sort of being that for better or worse, you're going to have impact. You're going to reproduce yourself in other people. These are hardwired capacities. Before we get born again, our, our hard drive is formatted to be very self-centered, you know, very self-serving, very self-reliant. But when we get born again, the Spirit of God drops in like a new program on us. It's like a good virus. And, and when that good virus hits our hard drive, have you ever had a those of you who don't have Apple, you probably know what I'm talking about. No, when, when yes, I've, I've drank, I, I drank the potion. Um, no, there's something really interesting. When you get a virus, it starts eating up portions of the hard drive, just taking over things. And normally that's a bad thing. But when you're born again, this virus, the Holy Spirit, he's sitting there going, he sees all the stuff on your hard drive, and then he just wants to eat up the old thing and replace it with good things. That's a really contemporary version of what, what really um, becoming more Christ-like looks like. That there's always an eating up and a replacement of the old with, with the new. We get to choose. Right? When we get that, you, your, your virus is conflicting with your current programming, you get to choose, right? Repentance is going, I think we'll delete the old stuff and allow the new stuff, you know. That's a warfare. That's a kind of internal warfare. That's true also for churches. Every church produces fruit. Every church is going to have impact. The real issue is, what is its primary directive? What's on the hard drive? What's the master program which directs it? And I submit to you that God's plan is that every person in every church, over time, grow into God's idea of the Great Commission for them. That's the idea. And there's a warfare. Let me talk about warfare just a little bit. I already mentioned that we have a warfare, we have enemy from within. That would be our ideas, our dispositions, our, our, our very best thoughts and efforts. We call that the flesh. That the flesh is where the, the uns, when, when, if it's unsanctified, that means the Holy Spirit is not ruling and reigning in that area. So we have desires and experiences and all that sort of stuff. And the flesh, that, that place that, where the Holy Spirit is not ruling, will always be at war with what the Spirit of God leads us to do. 
always. The Bible tells us that in uh, Romans 8, 7. We also have the enemy, you know, the devil. We have demons. And, you know, the, the enemy comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. And, you know, Jesus, he just comes to bring life. And there's really no bridge between the two. And then there is our culture. You know, I'm not saying culture is bad, but oftentimes our culture incorporates the world system which is incompatible with the values of the kingdom of God. There's always a war there. When you get born again, you aren't dropped into a little nursery where you're nurtured and all that. When you're born again, you're dropped into a war zone. Until we get to heaven, there's always some sort of battle. Sometimes it's fierce, sometimes it's not, but there's always a little battle. Consider the history of the people of Israel, say in Exodus and Joshua. They were freed from Egypt. Hallelujah. They were no longer in captivity. Pharaoh did not reign. They were set free from captivity so that they could experience you know, the, the, the promises of God. There was, a, there was a lot of a battle just to set people free, but now they're free people. Now they had to go from Egypt toward the promised land. Oh my gosh. Battle after battle after battle. Some of the battle is from all those ites, right? But also some of the battle, again, was within. They'd go, oh, you know, this is sort of hard. Why can't we just be blessed? Oh, you know, it wasn't so bad back then. You know, remember when we used to have steak back in slavery? I mean, crazy stuff, you know? The good old days are never that good. So there's battle after battle after battle. Then they get to the promised land. It was a heck of a battle. A lot of people had to die in the desert because they complained and all that sort of stuff. But the, the remnant, those who were left over, it was time for them to cross over. You figure, while well, we're in the promised land. And God goes, no. Now you've got different battles. Instead of fighting toward the promises, now you have to fight for the promises. And, and, and you, you can't get it all at once, just little by little by little. Because if you try to do everything all at once, the, the, the enemies of the land, the animals out there, they'll devour you. I mean, isn't Christianity just such a fun thing? You know, just get born again, you'll be happy, and then you go to heaven. Consider the mission of the church, again, which I've already talked to, that, that when Jesus reveals himself to us, he wants to reveal himself through us. And the evidence of God actually strengthening us, the, the, the ultimate evidence is that we start having impact. It's great to be holy. It's great to have that kind of fruit. It's awesome to have a life that's worth living and you don't have the garbage that you used to deal with. It's great. It's great. But there's so much more. We want to be fruitful. We want to be holy but the real fun, the real purpose is found when we make disciples, when we multiply. And there is a price to be paid for leaning into the second part of that equation. Did you know that the enemy in the world, they'll tolerate us. They will tolerate us if we just have really great meetings. If we think that the church is primarily designed to 
to strengthen us and to protect us from the big bad world. The world will let us go have the greatest meetings in the world. The resistance will come when we start bringing the reality of what God's doing us and actually bringing it out there. That's when there's going to be pushback. And you get pushback from two areas. One is from the world, from people. But the other pushback is on the inside. Have you ever noticed how inconvenient the Great Commission is? It really is. I'm not talking about laying your life down and all, but it's just, you know, people and, you know, all these guys discipling people. Can't we just teach them? Can't we just give, just read this and believe it and do it? You'll be good. Oh, gosh, we have to change diapers spiritually, right? To, to actually multiply. That's an incredible responsibility, and it's a pain. It's an inconvenience. It gets in the way of our plans. Have you met those young adults? You know, they're doing really well. They love each other, and they're married, and, and they're planning to have kids, right? And so they get all these plans, and they're doing well, and their thing is, well, at the right time, we'll add kids. Like, we'll build a really nice house, and at the right time, we'll just add a garage, right? You know, when you add a kid... Everything changes. I mean, your plans change. Your sleep patterns change. There's a whole bunch of, your budget changes. There's a whole bunch, and the, the idea that, well, you know, we'll, we'll just get things just really good, and then we'll add children. No, no, no. You bring in children, everything changes. The dynamics. And so there are people who go, look, we love our church. It's so awesome. But if we bring in a whole bunch of people that are not like us, if we bring in a whole bunch of people that like are really, really needy, no, not like us, really needy, oh man, that's going to mess us up. Oh, that poor pastor, he's going to have to take care of everybody. All those crazy, no, 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 no. You know, when all those crazy people come into the family, mm, moms and dads and uncles. You know, the Great Commission is really inconvenient. There's a war. I'm taking a long time to lay a foundation. Spiritual warfare is the context in which we walk out the Great Commission. You know, it's great to talk about theory. Um, I've got some really good friends, really good friends, who are pretty high up in special forces. And um, they're, they're into theory, they're into classroom stuff, they're into believing all, all, the th all the things they read, but they all know that, you know something, Every tactic will work when no one's shooting back. <laughs> every strategy, every God-given vision, it'll work so long as there's no internal and external resistance. Every one. So now, in light of this context, in light of the fact that our ultimate, our ultimate goal or purpose is to live holy lives in such a way that we reproduce after our own kind, that we actually make disciples. If, if that's where the value of life really is, and if doing that is in the context of warfare, where does prophecy fit? In light of all this, God commands us, the whole church, 
Not just a charismatic church. Not just those who are just really comfortable, you know, with crazy things. Um, you know, or supernatural things. Um, God actually commands the church, every member of the church, to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Why? Now, you can go, well, you know, God wants to supernaturally communicate through imperfect human beings to others, to build them up, to encourage them, you know, help them along, to equip them, you know, set them free, you know, strengthen, do all these sorts of things. But, you know, if that's all that prophecy is after, mm, why don't we just give them some medication and just send them to, you know, there's something way more that God's trying to accomplish. I really believe prophecy it's not the most important thing, but it's an important weapon of spiritual warfare. It's used ultimately to help build people up, to help build the church up so that they can be victorious in warfare and to fulfill their mandate. Every time someone grows in their calling, yes, there's warfare, and it produces awesome fruit but people are affected. Even the little words where you just get this, man, I don't know what this means, but God says, I love you. And they cry, oh, I didn't think God loved me. Don't you realize God's doing that not just to bless this person, maybe heal and encourage, but to give them what they need to take further steps so they can be more fruitful and so they can have greater influence. I want to talk about power of the prophetic word in light of warfare and the Great Commission. Um, ready? I have uh, six, maybe seven examples. And then a final ta-da. And then, you know, God, God loves to bring truth that transforms and excites us, but he likes to bring his spirit in such a way that it actually equips us and empowers us to actually walk out what we agree with. So when I'm done, there will be an opportunity, whether you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, or you've been filled, but you got man, I've been a little dry, or, man, I'm hitting on all cylinders, get refilled. The reason I think I can talk like that is in the book of Acts, there's a bunch of Spirit-filled believers who keep on getting refilled. Is it because they're leaky Nowhere in the Bible does it say, well, you're just leaking. I really believe that God, he pours out his spirit, he fills his people at strategic times. Because every time in the book of Acts, his people are filled, they start something that hadn't been going on before. There was no church before Pentecost. And I believe this church is ideally positioned to receive more of the Holy Spirit to just sort of move forward in the plans and purposes of God. So that's where we're going to end. Yeah, so you can start thinking about whether or not you want to just sort of cut out before, oh, that spirit-filled stuff. I think I'm going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, so you won't be cornered. You know, if you're here and you want to get filled, you're good. If you're here and you don't want to get filled, that's fine. Just watch. Take notes. Right? And if you don't want to watch, then go to the bathroom. The word, has a, the word of the Lord has the power to equip and propel people in their callings 
and their kingdom advancing destinies. I'll just say that again. The prophetic word has that power. It's a supernatural power to, to, to impart, shape, father us so that we can go further in our journey to become who God called us to be so that we can have more and more kingdom impact. Here's the first example. I've already talked about David. David, he did some stuff. And a lot of it had to do with his devotion to God and he had help and all. But he had some prophetic help. But three times, three different prophets gave him a word that was absolutely necessary from God's point of view to, to move him along. The first one came from, from Samuel. Hey, you're not just a shepherd boy. You know, you're a king in the making. Boom. That, that imparted something that wasn't there before. And then when David got in trouble and he was, you know, just held captive by a stronghold, there was another word like, look, don't let that thing define you. You know, just, just overcome, come out from behind the walls of safety and keep on going forward. You're not there yet, but keep on going forward. That's how you'll defeat the things that chase you in behind the walls of safety. And then when David messed up, he made mistakes. We'll call it sin, right? God used a word to adjust him, to bring him to a place of repentance, not to crush him, but to keep him growing in his calling so that he could continue to be a source of leadership and blessing to all of Israel. So j just that makes my case. Those words were used by God to father David so he could become everything he's called to be to maximize his kingdom advancing influence. But wait, there's more. There's a guy named Gideon. You can look this up in uh, Judges chapter 6. Gideon, he knew about God. He sort of had a love for God, but he was ticked at God. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten ticked at God. But Gideon had heard all the stories about great God, you know, all the miraculous things, all you know, the great stories. Yeah, they were inspiring, but he's looking around and he's going, all these ites are, are oppressing my people. And it's been going along for a long time. I know about the, the stories of way back when, but what about the right now? So he was not only mad, he's a little disappointed in God. He was just sitting there going, well, I believe, but not that much. Not only was he mad, I think he was just a, just a little, little afraid. I mean, think about it. Depend on a God who allows God's people to get dinged like this? He was afraid. That's why he went and hid. And he's hanging out. He's, he's just hiding. He's just mad and angry at God. I don't know if any of you ever had that thing where you just sort of, in your own little hiding place, your nice little happy place, right? You know, oh, God, you just let everybody down. And you're angry and afraid. Then God speaks to him. He says, the Lord's with you, you mighty war warrior. Or you valiant warrior, depending on the... I know Gideon heard that word and he went, who? Think about it. The angel goes, Lord's with you, mighty warrior. That was so not who Gideon was. He was an angry, frustrated coward. Yes, he was. Full of unbelief, full of disappointment. I know none of you have ever been in that place with God. But there was this one guy, Gideon, and this one word, 
The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. It started something that wasn't there before. I really believe that the real word of God has the power to start things, to plant things. And so what happened with Gideon, what he did, he said, oh, well, maybe, you know, I'm sort of weak, you know. And uh, he said, well, go in the strength that you have. Just get the train out of the station. He goes, okay, I'm taking steps of faith, but I don't think this is going to work. And then he starts cutting deals with God. He starts fleecing things. All right, if this is the real thing, you know, if I do this, are you going to do that? If you do that, maybe I'll go. All right, that was really good. Nice trick. Let's do it the other way. Okay, that was good. So now he's going, all right, God's sort of with him. And then, oh, it was really amazing. He's going, then he was brought to a place where he had to decide whether he'd be held captive, still devoted to his father's idols, his history, his culture, his tradition. He goes, okay, I'm going to tear down those idols. He, he, he didn't tear down his dad. He wasn't dishonoring his, to his dad, but he just refused to bend the knee anymore to the old things that had raised him. And then he's still a nothing burger. Nobody knows about him. And he's going to lead the people of God? Well, all of a sudden, he has this power of convocation. How did that happen? There's a whole bunch of guys. And, and, and God, I know Gideon's going, oh, this is really cool. I never knew I could gather all these people. Mm, God's really with me. And God just clears his throat and goes, well, yeah, I'm with you, but let's cut it down. <laughs> You've got a lot of people, and if you win this battle, you'll think it's because it's you. Let's cut it down. And you know Gideon's going, you know, you're with me, and then you're not, right? You get me impassioned, and now what's going on? And so with just a little bit of support, not enough to pull off the vision, he obeys God, and it all started off with this whole journey started off with this one word. The Lord's with you, O mighty warrior. There's a lot of power in that word. There's another one, very similar. Notice, he, he became a man of faith, and then he had influence. That word helped him be, produce better fruit in his life, and then he multiplied. Then there was this guy named Simon, who eventually became Peter. Simon, you know, he had a lot of enthusiasm. He was a stinky fisherman. I mean, he was probably just a slob, you know. His wife was always saying, look, uh, in public, going... He's not with me. He won't let me dress him, so I'm not walking with him. So, I mean, come on. I, I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to immediately know who Peter is. Because he'll, he'll be running at me going, brother! <laughs> yeah. So here's this guy, Simon. You know, ho, 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 you know, not the brightest light bulb, you know. And, and Jesus goes up to him and goes, uh, your name is Simon, but you will be called Peter. What was going on in there? What was going on in there? I believe that word Peter, you know, rock, stability, right? Everything that Simon was not. The Lord just sort of put a whole bunch of destiny and new DNA and vision, and he rolled it up in that Peter word and just threw it 
into Simon. You know, Simon was not all that. He's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I mean, he's a stinky fisherman and all that, but his heart was good soil. And, that, and you know what happened. You know, for a while, the seed was in there, but he still acted like an idiot. You know, I'll never let them hurt you, Jesus. And our gentle Jesus, I love it. It's amazing. Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. What about the Jesus that is on methadone? What about, what about that, oh, my children? The one who would never, ever rebuke his children. Well, that, that Jesus was not in front of Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the, 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 the values of man and not the values of the kingdom. Man, that was a severe rebuke. And then later on, he betrays Jesus. How's that going? He's embarrassed, he's ashamed. Then he watches his hero get just murdered and mutilated and all that. He's feeling really bad. Come on now. He's feeling horrible. And he was Jewish. You know, when Jewish people feel guilty, oh, it's worse. It's like on steroids. You know, because we, we, we live for guilt. Anyway, we get really excited, though, for other people's guilt. So he's feeling horrible. I betrayed my Savior. He's dead. We'll never be able to work this out. And all of a sudden, Jesus just comes to him and goes, do you love me? Well, of course I do. You're going to beat me up? Feed my sheep. In his brain, you know he's going, I betrayed you, and you want to give me a job? I betrayed you. You want to give me a calling? I betrayed you. You want, to, you want to give me a sense of direction? Like, I know you're God, but aren't you aware of what I did? I betrayed you. And you even knew I'd betray you. What's wrong with you? you had, that's, his brain is about to blow up. And then he goes, well, Peter, do you love me? Uh, sure, yes, of course. Of course I love you. Well, then feed my lambs. Oh, great. Youth ministry. <laughs> you know, it's one thing, I'm, I'm going to serve the adults. Well, they can make choices. You're going to actually entrust me to the young ones? Are you crazy? Right? And then third time, do you love me? Of course, Lord, you know all things. Well, then feed my sheep. What was Jesus doing? He was, Peter had defined himself primarily in terms of his failures. And Jesus was helping, helping Peter define himself in terms of his love for the Lord. Do you realize the power? When some people actually think they've got to get all fixed up, they've got to get all this fixed, I'm so broken, I'm so ashamed, and all this sort of stuff, and then I'll be ready to follow Jesus when every so often Jesus, what he'll do is say, yeah, you're broken, but i got a job for you. Oh, yeah, you're broken, but I've designed you to have incredible influence. Don't you know a word from God? Not a word from man, not someone who's just trying to put a Band-Aid on you, but someone who's really speaking the word of the Lord. Yeah, you're a mess, but you're God's mess. And you know, if you just sort of submit to the process, pff, all that pain will make sense 
when God uses it to help other people. It's an amazing thing. And it all started with that one word, you will be a Peter. You will be a Peter. But wait, there's more. So God pours out his spirit at Pentecost. People are bellering in tongues. Their, their heads are on fire, you know, and they're acting like drunk people. And the whole crowd is going, what's going on? What does this mean? And then Peter stands up. I know if I was one of the disciples, all these people go, what's going on? And Peter stands up and he goes, look, we're not drunk as you suppose. Like, here, let me explain this. I know what I would have done. I would have turned to the disciple right next to me and go, this is not going to work, man. I know how Peter is. This is just going to end up very badly. That's the last guy you want to explain what's going on here. This guy, his theology is crazy. I mean, it doesn't work. Jesus used to rebuke him for his theology all the time. This is not going to work. But he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gets up and he goes, listen, we're not drunk. But remember Joel? You know, this thing about Joel, Holy Spirit comes, people prophesy and all this sort of stuff. What you're seeing here, that's the fulfillment of Joel. Not only that, what you're seeing here is actually a confirmation that Jesus is everything he says he was. Supernatural message. I mean, it wasn't really pedagogically, it wasn't that good. You know, a couple of points and all. But this idiot, this, this doof guy, filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, that seed, the Peter, the stability, the guy who can give direction, starts speaking as if he knows something, and it starts the church. But wait, there's more. So here he is, he's this great apostle helping the church navigate, you know, this new religion um, uh, in, in Jerusalem, and then there's this guy who used to just beat up on Christians, Saul. Saul was an enemy, and then he became a Christian, and then he comes to Peter. And Peter could have gone, mm, I got some questions. I want to see if you're the real deal. But after the, the questions, and after relationship, he goes, yeah, you're the real deal. I'll get behind you. I'll support you. And I, I will send you out. I will help equip you for your calling to the Gentiles. You know, and Paul did a pretty good job. Wrote a couple chapters in a best-selling book that is still affecting us. Oh, and Peter, he wrote a couple chapters. And you know what? It started with that one word. That one prophetic word that found good soil. Prophecy is not this, let's prophesy, isn't this going to be fun? I mean, it is fun. There's something great and energizing about learning how to communicate the heart and mind of God to other people. But man, the bullets God's given us are big ones. They're good ones. I mean, the seed, these are powerful things. Just a little word. You don't even have to be super eloquent. Just get the word out. Plant it. Look what happened to Peter. There was this guy named Ananias, just a disciple. You can see this in Acts 9. 
And he was just a disciple. He had a good reputation. That's really all we know about him. And uh, there was this guy named Saul who hunted, who hated, and hurt Christians. And he had this reputation, and God just sort of supernaturally downloads a whole bunch of things into Ananias' life. He's just a disciple, just living his life. He goes, hey, uh, there's this guy. His name is Saul. Here's his hometown. And right now, he's sitting in a room. He's blind. And you don't need MapQuest or Google Maps. Here's where he's at. And I'm gonna, I want you to go there and pray for the guy and bring healing to him. Okay, God, this guy's got this history of hurting Christians, and I know you know everything, but maybe you're so busy. I just want to remind you I'm a Christian. <laughs> this could hurt. This, this could be inconvenient. And you know, you know how Jesus responded to that? He went, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, um, I just wanted to see if you were interested. <laughs> no, he did not. He said, go. And actually, there's an exclamation point next to go. And go. And then he goes, this guy, this guy that you're going to invest in, this guy is going to be used by me to, to talk to kings, to, to just turn the world upside down. Oh, and by the way, he'll suffer for my name, which is sort of like an incentive. I mean, <laughs> look, now look, listen, if you're, if you're sort of like, you're not a bitter Christian, Right, but you go, that guy hurt a lot of Christians. And you want me to minister to him? That could hurt. Oh, he's going to suffer? Oh, okay. All right, all right. Okay, good. I'm good with that. Good. I would never pray that he would suffer, but since it's in your plan, yeah, I can contribute to that. So, but here's the thing. So he goes to minister, but there's no promise of success. There's no promise of success. There's no promise of safety. Who knows? Hi, Saul. Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for your life. <clears throat> well, at least he planted the seed. So he shows up. He lays, well, first thing he does is he goes, Brother Saul. That's the first, that's the first miracle. I mean, think about it. This is the guy that has a reputation of killing Christians. And the first thing that Ananias does is say, you're one of mine. I'm one, I'm, I'm, I'm one with you. You're a brother. Wow. Have you ever really screwed up, done really bad things, and the person you've hurt really has forgiven you to the point where, man, I'm so glad to see you? It brings a lot of healing. It just kicks the teeth out of shame. So, Brother Saul, and then he prays for him, and now he can see, and then um, he, he starts prophesying, oh, by the way, God's going to really use you, right? He plants this seed in a very humbled heart, and then he goes, and he lays hands on him so he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. That was a good day at the office. All Ananias did was take a supernatural word from the Lord, obey it, and then just a little bit of ministry into this one guy and change the world. Don't you, th don't you know 
Don't you know that that prophetic word not only made Paul fruitful, but it set the stage for incredible multiplication. Just one little word. Caleb. I love Caleb. You know, it's great to have the promises of God. And Moses tells everybody, listen, man, we, we can do this. We can do this. There's a promised land. And to show you, I'm going to send 12 of our spies. We're going to send them in, and they're going to taste the land. They're going to see it. They'll bring back humongous grapes, whatever. They, and sure enough, those 12 came back and went, yep, the promises are true. We're so excited. Ten of them, ten of them went, but there are giants in the land. Have you ever just seen the promise of God get really excited about that? And then you realize it's going to be a fight. And you go, well, good enough is good enough. I'll stand pat. Right? Ten of them did that. Have you ever had a pretty good marriage and someone says, hey, why don't you go to a, a marriage thing? Yeah, you know, that, mm, that might be inconvenient. You know, we haven't fought in a couple weeks. Well, let's, leave, let's leave this sleeping dog lie, you know. <laughs> well, the, the promise of the more. And so ten of them just, nah, it's not going to work. But Joshua, you know, he was in. But Caleb, he's the one with the mouth. He went, we can do this. Because God said. There's a lot of power in a word from someone who knows that in spite of the battles, God said. It's an amazing thing. One more. You know that woman at the well? She was a mess. She had all these relational problems, broken marriages, you know, scandalous. And she's busy just getting water out of a well. Jesus comes up to her, and, you know, he's just saying, hey, look, you know, what you're doing is not nearly as satisfying as what I have. I got living water. Oh, great, you must be a prophet, you know, all that sort of stuff, right? And he says, look, why don't you go get your husband? Well, I don't have a husband. That's right. And then he reads her mail supernaturally. And she goes, okay, you are a prophet. You know me. You know she's tightening up. I see you're a prophet. Please don't hurt me. And then Jesus just leads her to himself. This nasty, bad, crazy, broken lady gets touched by Jesus. She gets so excited, she goes back to her hometown. Now, the hometown was not a real big place. It wasn't a real small place, but it was small enough where everybody knew who she was. She comes running into town going, guess what? I found another man. And this one's God. Come on. Everybody go, oh, she has gone off the deep end. This guy and this guy and this guy. Oh, yeah, the Messiah. But the thing was, what happened to her was real. And because it was real, her words had supernatural impact. A lot of people believed in Jesus right then. Other people are going, man, this sounds exciting. I'm going to go check it out for myself. Talk about being fruitful. She gets saved. She gets her honor restored. She's no longer judged by where she's been. She's loved by a God who wants to take her into a future she never thought possible. That's fruitfulness. But her testimony... 
Her words, just her life affected a whole town. That's multiplying. And it all started with this little encounter, and there's this supernatural prophetic word of knowledge that just started that whole process. See how cool that is? Let's make this more corporate. You know, one of the reasons why the messenger is so important is not so that you all can be more charismatically competent. Well, we're the church, so we just know how to prophesy. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, that's pretty good. It's, it's good where we learn how to hear from God, communicate God, all this sort of stuff. But ultimately, it has a great commission impact. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, it says, look, there are going to be some inquirers. People who are on the fence. People are like backsliders. A whole bunch of people who are just not sure about this Jesus thing. They're going to come into your midst. And, 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 and everybody's going to be prophetic. I mean, in some translated, everybody's prophesying, but I know it doesn't mean all at once. Seriously? If you walk into a church meeting and everybody's prophesying at the same time, run. Just go away. Just go away. Go find another place. Well, God, what I think Paul was saying is, look, when these inquirers and unbelievers step into a group of people who know how to hear from God and communicate God and really know how to do it and appreciate what they're doing, when they step into that atmosphere, not in... in into, when they step into that culture, not this little ministry, when they step into a prophetic culture, the secrets of their heart will be laid bare. They go, oh man, I need whatever they got. Surely God is amongst them. I'm in need of a savior. It's amazing. You don't even have to do a lot of talking. When you learn how to prophesy and communicate with God and communicate God to other people, it creates a culture. So when unbelievers walk in, they're going, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. And people start going, man, what is going on? This is real and all that. Developing a prophetic church is not about developing a prophetic church. Developing a prophetic church is God equipping us to not only expand the kingdom outside, but to actually advance the kingdom even in our services, even in our small groups. The Great Commission, I believe, is God's primary warfare strategy. I will say that again. The Great Commission is God's primary warfare strategy for pushing back the kingdom of darkness. Let me explain. In Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, this is what God says. This they will have in return for their pride. We're talking about the enemies of God. Because they have taunted and become arrogant against the people of the Lord of hosts. There are people, there are, there are demonic influences. There's a world system that is so full of pride. They think they have uh, God's kids over a barrel. They taunt us. And they're arrogant, not just against us, against God or even the idea of God. Now watch this. The Lord will be terrifying to them. For he will starve the gods of the earth. What are the gods of the earth? Materialism, self, sex, all, money, all this. The gods of this earth, the things that people worship. 
I'm sure here in Vancouver, you know, there are a lot of people who worship trees, right? And, you know, worship clean air. I think trees are great and clean air, mm, I'll take it. But there's something about, mm, you know, uh, let's have a abort- yeah, we'll have abortion, but save those whales. The Lord will be terrifying to them, for he will starve the gods of the earth. How are gods fed? By worshipers, right? How do you starve the gods of the earth? Have you, ever, have you ever fasted? You know, something extended, not like, oh, I'm going to fast between lunch and supper. Okay, that's not fasting. <laughs> you ever fasted? You know, the first two or three days are hard as heck, right? Because your flesh is going, what are you doing? And you oh, come on. I mean, you went 23 hours without eating. Surely you can have that cheesecake. I mean, you reward yourself, you negotiate back and forth, and they're, I mean, you're, you're killing me, I'm going to die. That's right, I'm going to die. Without food, my heart's going to stop, and it'll be all your fault. I mean, there, there's a resistance when you start sort of starving yourself. But if you get to the third, fourth day, all of a sudden that inner voice starts, you know, that little whine, please don't hurt me, I'm dying. Oh. And then you have fifth, sixth day, you're going, I can do this. Just drink a lot of water, you know? What happens when a church actually said, look, the primary reason we are here is to steal worshipers from the false god of our earth. I mean, God wants to rescue all these people who are in darkness. He wants to rescue them, make them sons and daughters, give them a destiny, heal them, get them to heaven. That's, I mean, that's the big goal. But God, he's just... I think devious. He goes, I'm going to do it in such a way that it'll punch the enemy right in the nose. I'll starve the gods of this earth. Why do you think it's so hard to start and then sustain the Great Commission? Because as soon as you start, the things you're starving start whining and pushing back. The Great Commission is God's primary weapon. Actually, Jesus said as much. The gates of hell will not prevail against a church that is moving out. Isn't that amazing? A couple of scriptures I want to just end with just to set you up for what God wants to impart to you. Do you really believe this scripture? It's Isaiah 45, verses 2 through 3. I will go before you and I'll level the mountains. I'll break down gates of bronze and I'll cut through, it, through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures hidden in darkness. I'll give you the riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I'm the Lord. Who are the treasures hidden in darkness? People. Jesus died for people. These treasures hidden in the dark, these ungodly people, these anti-God people, all these, they're treasures, but they're hidden in darkness. Have you ever looked at them like that? Those are treasures. You know, there was a time when you were a treasure hidden in darkness. Here's another scripture. This is in Acts chapter 4. The apostles had done some really cool things. They healed a crippled guy outside of a church service. And the, the authorities got really mad. And they brought him before, they you know, beat him, and then they threatened him. And their threats carried some weight because they had a track record of hurting and, and killing other Christians. So don't do this anymore. Or you're going to get hurt again. And so these guys 
go back to the synagogue where everybody's praying, and they said, hey, guys, we're in trouble. I think we need to shut this down. No, they did not. Just told them what happened, and this is how they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats. What the enemy might do to us, that's your problem. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Not necessarily loud, but with confidence. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they spoke the word of God boldly. Mm. Their prayer was, God, would you give us the power to do the thing that might make our life inconvenient? Would you do the thing that will actually push along you know, your, your desire to rescue the treasures hidden in darkness? Would, God, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit so that when we speak, it'll be your words that come out. And your words can have the impact in others that your word has had on ours. It's an amazing thing. This is a great church, man. I mean, it really is. You, you don't judge a church on where it should be. It's go, that, that, that's, that's a horrible thing. But you guys are ideally situated for incredible transformation and change. Structurally, just people coming in, that's all that sort of stuff. You're right on task, really right in the middle of God's perfect will. And God wants to start downloading some things, not so that you can continue what you're doing and how you're doing it, but to equip you to not just be fruitful, but to really see multiplication be the signature of this church. Does that make sense? And my teaching won't be able to help you do that. I wish it would. Now that'd be too much pressure on me. That would have to be a little more formal. But allowing yourself to purposely be filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing that God would empower you to speak his words with a kingdom advancing purpose. Wouldn't that be fun? You know, I get the uh, privilege and joy of listening to these teachings on a regular basis, and it never gets old. Um, hear them on repeated basis, and it's just so refreshing to see the, the power of prophecy and what it does. And Paul said to Timothy, <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 18, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you might fight the good fight or by them you might war a good warfare. In each of the cases that we saw Ben just unfold for us, whether it was David or Gideon or Simon Peter, it was a word that was given to them, a prophetic word that allowed them to war against the things that would try to diminish them, that would try to decrease them, that would try to sow self-doubt, that would try to sow fear, that would try to sow disqualification into their minds. And the enemy is constantly trying to diminish us, constantly trying to decrease us. But what gives us the wherewithal to not only say no, but I am assured of moving ahead. It's the prophetic word that God gives us.
It's the supernatural confidence. It's the anointing. It's the ongoing empowerment to say, I'm moving ahead in God. I'm moving ahead in the destiny that God has given me. And thereby, the Great Commission continues to be unfurled through your life. And so we see that even though there's these little words that come to us, they have great impact. The prophetic DNA unleashes something that we don't have in and of ourselves. When we get God's DNA in us, then it produces God's results. And that's what the prophetic word does. So to see it on sort of that cosmic scale that was portrayed for us uh, by Ben was just, um, you know, it allows us to see the larger, the larger theme and the larger strategy of what God is doing. And he's doing it through you and me, just little old us. You know, we're never going to be famous. We're never going to be on TV. We're never going to be like famous authors or bloggers or whatever it is. But God is using us, hidden people. Do you know the name? Do you know the two spies that went into the, uh, that scout out? Do you know the names of the two spies? Let me just say it that way. Joshua and Caleb. But also, the two spies that went into, was it, let's see, Jericho, they're not named. There's a lot of nameless people in the Bible that are heroes, and that's you, that's me. God sees us in that same place. 